David Eigner, in an article, writes these words. Some people see God as a supernatural change agent who answers their every whim, a kind of divine genie who stands before them to grant their every wish. He writes, take the well-meaning fan at a basketball game who says, our team is behind, our team is losing, everyone, let's pray. Or the executive who left 30 minutes late for an important sales presentation and asks her colleagues to pray that she would get to the meeting on time. People who are preoccupied with such self-centered requests often have a very shallow view of God and His redemptive purpose in the world. They see Him as one who exists to provide for their wants and needs. They see God as one who simply alleviates all of their suffering. And they see God as one who simply makes their lives as pleasant as possible. They may get this kind of picture of God from secular novels, but it is not the God presented in the Bible. There's such great truth in what he writes. But for balance, we know that God does say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, that we are not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There is nothing wrong in what we call supplication when we pray, asking God to do something for us, asking God to help us. But in many ways, for many people, that's all the reason for why we pray and when we pray, because we need something from God. We are going to request from Him to help us. If we look at how we pray, it mostly centers about me, myself, I. It centers on my needs, my family, my convenience, my success, my good health, my family's good health, my job, my promotion, more money for me. No wonder our mindsets in this generation is about me. I want to help you understand this morning that there is much more to pray for other than supplication. And I'd like to present to you six different things, six areas that you can pray about daily that will help change your mindset and cultivate in your life a healthier prayer life, which takes the focus away from me to others and to God's greater kingdom. And we're going to use Mary's prayer to examine six areas that we can pray about. Of course, I know you've heard countless sermons on prayer, but as someone has said, it is the most talked about least done thing in the Christian life, right? Isn't that true? We always talk about prayer. We always talk about praying for others. But it is often the least thing done in the Christian life. If everyone really prayed for all the people they say they would be praying for, then every one of us would be a prayer warrior. We would be spending two to three hours in prayer every day. But for most of us, the reality is we can barely make it through 10 minutes a day in prayer and then we throw up our hands and we say, Lord, we've finished everything we want to pray about. There's nothing much left. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, as we study the words of Mary, which she gives to God in prayer prior to giving birth to Jesus. 
We are continuing our sermon series entitled, Not First, Practicing Daily Spiritual Disciplines to Remind Me of My Place in This World. And we will conclude this series next week. Now, as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, by way of background, Mary has just heard the news from the angel Gabriel that she would bear the Christ child, she would bear the Messiah. And as a sign of confirmation of this truth, a sign of encouragement to her, the angel Gabriel tells her that her relative Elizabeth, in her advanced age, was six months with child. Of course, the first thing that Mary will want to do is to check to see if this is true. And so, verse 39 of Luke chapter 1 tells us that she goes from Nazareth in the Galilee to visit her relative Elizabeth, who lives in the Judean hills. And of course, by six months, one can see the baby bump. When Mary announces that she has arrived at Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, the Bible tells us the baby inside of her leaped with joy. A wonderful verse that reminds us that life begins at conception and that's why we oppose abortion because life begins in the womb at conception and elizabeth blesses mary she is filled with the holy spirit and she encourages mary with these words blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb mary has not told elizabeth why she is there But Elizabeth knows because she is filled with the Spirit. God has revealed it to her. And what an encouragement it must have been to Mary that Elizabeth calls her blessed because she will be the mother of the Messiah. And of course, Elizabeth continues to encourage Mary by telling her that the baby inside of her leaped with joy and that all that had been told to her would come to fulfillment, which is found in verse 45. Mary is so overwhelmed with the encouragement of Elizabeth and the realization that she was chosen out of all women across all generations to be the mother of Jesus. She expresses her heartfelt feelings in a prayer to God. And that's why this section is called the Prayer of Mary or the Song of Mary, or most commonly referred to as Mary's Magnificent which is the term used in Latin. We want to study Mary's prayer and note down what she prays for as perhaps some elements that we forget when we practice the spiritual discipline of prayer. Look with me at verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary begins by saying that the most inner part of her soul magnifies, blesses, adores, praises the Lord God. Of course, she's overwhelmed to be selected to have the privilege of being the earthly mother of Jesus. But earlier in the chapter, in verse 34, perhaps there's a hint of doubt. She's a bit unsure when she says, how can this be since I don't know a man? And then at the end of her interaction with the angel Gabriel, there is an acceptance, perhaps with a slight hint of trepidation. In verse 38, she says, let it be to me according to your word. But now with the encouragement of Elizabeth, there is a resolve. And she glorifies the Lord, realizing what is going to happen to her. 
What she does in her prayer, she begins, is something we often forget when we pray. And that is number one, if you're taking notes, to give a word of our adoration to God. A word of our adoration. We're always rushing when we pray. Oh, we've already taken a bite out of our food. Quickly, one of the kids, pray. As if if we forget to pray, we're going to choke in the food or we'll be poisoned. Quick, pray. Dear God, thanks for the food. Oh, we feel better. Enjoy your meal. Right? Isn't that how it seems when we rush to pray? Quickly, pray short so the food won't get cold. Or we're rushing. Quickly, God, I need your help right now. I'm in a time of distress. I haven't studied for my test. I've fallen asleep. I didn't finish my papers. I need your help right now. And in those prayers of desperation, we don't have time to honor God, to respect Him, to admire the one we are bringing this prayer to. And yet Mary, the first thing she does is that she gives a word of adoration. For example, let me uh, tell you, let's say you have a meeting with the city mayor and you want to bring to the mayor a complaint. Let's say, for example, you want the mayor to quickly fix Joy Street. You don't know why something that really takes one month to fix has taken more than eight months now, but that's beside the point. That's a hypothetical, but it's really happening. So you want to tell the mayor, Mayor, I need you to put the pressure down on some people. And so you set an appointment with the city mayor and you meet him. What's the first thing you do? I'm sure most of you don't say, Mayor, I need you to fix the road. I need you to do me a favor. If you're smart, you will meet the mayor. I think most of you would probably say to him, well, Mr. Mayor, you know, we want to tell you how much we appreciate the way you deal with things in a fair and judicious manner. Everyone respects your leadership and your ability to get things done. Our family really looks up to you as you care for common people like us. May we impose on your generous time to look into a matter, right? That's how we would couch things. Because we need to butter him up before we ask for something. Why is it that we don't even spend time to adore the one who is most worthy of our adoration and we simply demand of him as if the city mayor holds more recognition on our behalf than the Lord God? Now listen carefully. God does not require us to butter him up before he will do something. He does things by his own will. But if you look through the many examples of prayers in the Bible, they are filled with ascribing praise to God. It's filled with adoration, reminding God of who He is and what He has done. Because in doing so, in those words of adoration, it reminds us in our own mind the one we are praying to. Now Mary, of all people, as she expresses her words in prayer, she, out of all people, could have a litany of requests. None of us would fault her if she were to pray, Lord, I'm now bearing your child. I would like a bigger house in Nazareth, please. I would like you to shut up the mouth of people who are gossiping about me. I'd like you to do these things for me. Right? She is in a standing where she can demand of God a lot of things, being the mother of Jesus. But notice that the first thing that she does 
is that she brings God adoration and praise. Something we need to add to our prayer life. When was the last time before you demanded of God something that you prayed and adored Him, glorified Him? Look at verse 47 with me. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Here, Mary expresses in her prayer that she is full of joy in God who is her Savior, one who saves her. Now, to express that God is her Savior means that she has acknowledged that she is a sinner who needs a Savior. A sinner who needs a Savior is filled with joy. That's why the Roman Catholic doctrine of Mary's immaculate conception, meaning she is born without sin, is not biblically justified because Mary's own words contradict this teaching. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. One has come to save me. But as we go back to her prayer, her expression of joy in God my Savior, number two, is a reminder of our salvation. A reminder of our salvation, number two, if you're taking notes. When was the last time in your prayer life you express the need of a Savior because you are a sinner? It should happen daily. The expression that you as a sinner was destined for hell, but someone died in your place, and by believing in Him, He has given you the free gift of eternal life. And for that, you are eternally grateful and thankful. Many of us, when we pray to God, we take such a wonderful truth and we pray it on such a superficial level. We pray that God would forgive us of our sins, not thinking much about it other than so that I won't feel guilty anymore, so that I can have a cleansed life, so if I die before I sleep, I will have had my sins forgiven. And then we move on with life, not really thinking much about the act that enabled all of this. We don't confess really how much of a sinner we are, how we have not lived up to God's standard of perfection. We are simply acknowledging that we messed up superficially and we just need a second go at it or a third go or fourth. It's like, for example, you get a stain on your shirt. All you do is you toss it in the laundry basket and in two or three days you have a clean shirt. You don't care who has to wash the clothes. You don't care who has to dry it. You don't care who has to iron it. All you yell is, after two or three days when you need it again, where's my clean shirt? I need to wear it today. Has it not been washed yet? Where is it? And I wonder sometime if that mimics how our prayer life looks like. We tell God, Lord, give me a clean life. Where's my clean life now? And he does so through his shed blood. But we don't think about what it took to clean our sins. And I wonder if many of us continue to live in sin because it's so easy to ask for a clean life. Does that make sense? It's so easy in that illustration to ask for a clean shirt, clean shirt, clean shirt, and it just simply appears. Not thinking how that shirt was cleansed, or more importantly, how our life was cleansed through the shed blood of the Savior, Jesus. Because it is so easy in our minds, we don't think much about it. We just simply demand of it from our life. 
maybe you and I need to be reminded more often about our salvation and to pray and thank God for it so that we would perhaps sin less, understanding the requirements it took for us to be forgiven. That's what Mary does. She rejoices that God is her Savior. She's reminded of her own need for salvation. Could it be that if you remember this in prayer every day, that you would sin less knowing that it took the life of the Son of God to restore you to holiness? Verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Here Mary continues her prayer and acknowledges the unworthiness of her life, calling herself a maidservant, someone no better than a servant. And yet by God's grace, who picked her out among so many other young women to be the mother of Jesus. And now she realizes in verse 48 that the countless generations to come, she will be known as one who was blessed with this privilege. This verse is not teaching that you are to call Mary the blessed virgin. It doesn't mean we are to worship her. It doesn't mean we are to venerate her. That's taught nowhere in the Bible. But through her own prayer in context, we see that she is praising God for being unworthy for being given this privilege by God's grace. She is exemplifying another thing we should be praying for every day, and that number three is a recognition of God's grace. A recognition of God's grace. We all know there's a difference in speech and attitude and action for one who believes they deserve something from God and one who believes they don't deserve it. If you remember the story from Luke chapter 18... Verses, one, uh, verses 11 to 13, there's a Pharisee who is praying, and he prays like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like the extortioners, the, the unjust, the adulterers, and even this tax collector next to me. I'm so spiritual. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. He feels he is so deserving of his spiritual standing with God. And then, juxtapose, you have this other man, a, a tax collector, whose prayer is recorded in Luke 18, verse 13, simply the words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One recognizes God's grace. The other thought he was somehow deserving of all that he has in life, even his spiritual standing with God. The Bible says, Jesus' own words, he is fooling himself. Is the recognition of God's grace a part of your daily prayer life? A daily recognition of someone so unworthy like ourselves to have what we have, to be given what we've been given, to be able to center our thoughts that you and I did don't deserve anything apart from God's grace in our life. And then it is in that context that you and I are also blessed. That's how people with means and wealth can still praise God with a powerful prayer life because every day they recognize how blessed they are, not because of what they have, 
but because how unworthy they were to have what they have, recognizing it's all by God's grace. I recently read a very interesting article written by Jessica Bennett in the New York Times. It's an article entitled, They Feel Blessed. And here she's writing a stinging commentary about our culture and this word, hashtag blessed. She writes these words, there is nothing quite like invoking holiness as a way to brag about your life. But calling something, quote unquote, blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble, to fish for a compliment, to acknowledge a success without sounding too conceited or purposely to elicit envy. Now, I don't know how you use the hashtag blessed, but I don't think it's too far to think that some of you, maybe you post you you post a picture of you sitting on a beautiful beach you hashtag it blessed and when people see it they envy you and in your mind you're thinking yes i am blessed but haha i'm here and you're not jessica bennett in her article gives us a few funny examples she said the overuse of the word has all but stripped it of its meaning she gives an example. The fruits are on sale and half priced at the grocery store. I feel so blessed. Or a new mom putting her baby in a designer fashion dress and then writing, a year of patiently waiting for my baby to grow and the dress finally fits, feeling blessed. Uh, or someone posting a provocative picture of her and her, him or her in their beach body, hashtagging blessed. And the implication is, I've got a body like this, you don't. Or, or one of my favorites, written by the comedian uh, Davin Magwood, caught a piece of bacon falling out of my sandwich right before it hit the ground. So blessed. If you want to understand the true force of what it means to be blessed, go no further than verse 49. Here Mary expresses the full force of the word. When you humbly recognize your unworthiness and have what you have by the grace of God, you are truly blessed. And your daily prayer life should reflect this truth to remind you that you are blessed, not because you want to show up, but you are blessed because you are the recipient of grace that will bring a lot of people with feet firmly on the ground when they understand God's grace look at verse 49 for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name Mary now moves to acknowledging some of God's characteristics in her prayer here, here she affirms that he is mighty He's powerful. God is indeed mighty. He, he does the impossible. It is impossible for a baby to be conceived without a man and a woman joining together. But in this case, God has done the impossible. She affirms that he is holy. Holy is his name. The characteristics of God are perfectly displayed in his very person. 
Holy is his name, meaning the one true God is perfect in his holiness. He doesn't come down to our level. His standards of holiness is one of perfection, and he expects us to be able to match his standard or come up to it and not him coming down to ours. When we remind God of his characters in our prayer, it is an acknowledgement that we adjust to the perfection of who God is, and he doesn't adjust to us. When we pray that God is perfect in all that he does, you make no mistakes, God, certainly would make sure that your prayer includes the phrase, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You see, when we pray back to God, his character, it's not necessarily to remind God of who he is. It doesn't make him become more of what we say he is. Because we tell him he's holy, he doesn't become more holy. Because we tell him he's powerful, it doesn't make him more powerful. He is who he is in his perfection. But it is a reminder to us of just how amazing and perfect he is. That's why number four, our prayer every day should include an acknowledgement of God's character or God's attributes. It's a reminder of just who God is and who we are. And doing so brings us to a place of thanksgiving, a place of awe, a place of admiration, a place of humility, a place of wonderment. It also should transform your life as you remember in prayer who God is. Take, for example, if you're tempted to cheat. And if I were to warn you, okay, don't cheat. The teacher is watching you. You say, ah, I know how to trick my teacher. When she glances away, I know when to look at the other table. Right? Uh, my teacher's half blind anyway. She doesn't see what's happening. So I say, okay, that won't stop you. Don't cheat because there are video cameras and they are watching you. Now, you may begin to worry a bit more because, you know, the CCTV, the video, won't miss. Catches everything. It's recorded. But then you soon figure out where the blind spots are, where it can't reach you. And so... Perhaps I need to take it to another level. And I tell you, well, remember, God is omniscient, omnipresent. He knows everything. He sees everything. He will call your life to account. Ah, maybe that would give you a better pause before you cheat or do what's wrong. You see, when we are made aware in our minds of the characteristics of God, it raises in our own minds an awareness of how we live because we can't get away with anything as we remind ourselves in prayer who God is. That's why prayer is effective. It brings to mind at the center of our thought just who God is. And the revelation of who He is reminds us for how we are to live. Like I said at the beginning, to bring us to His level in Christ-likeness, not for him to wallow in our sin, because he won't. Verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him 
from generation to generation. Mary now goes to note that God's mercy is extended to those who fear him. And it's been happening throughout the different generations that this is how God operates. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is a reminder from Mary of how God operates. He shows mercy to those who have resolved in their lives to fear him, which is a healthy respect and the honoring of our Lord. And then she continues in verse 51 to 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. Mary says that those who are proud, God does not honor. In fact, he takes them down in this life or the next. And I love that phrase, how it's put, scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Showing that the proud are foolish. They are proud of something they do not need to be proud of. It is an imagination in their hearts. It will get them nowhere. And yet with those who are humble of heart and lowly, the Bible says he will exalt. He blesses those who have resolved in their hearts to live a life of humility. You see, what's being expressed here, I believe, in Mary's prayer, number five, is a resolve in action. A resolution, a resolve in her action. Specifically in the context, there's a resolution to fear God. There's a resolution to keep a humble attitude which will result in blessings from God. When was the last time you prayed specifically to God that you will resolve to do something? Other than asking God for something, you resolve to change your life in such a way that you will live rightly. You know, it's interesting, as I think about Mary, if we were to have Mary in our current generation, most biblical scholars believe Mary was maybe about 16, 17 years old. Take a 17-year-old living in our context today, and she has just been told that she will be the mother of the promised Messiah. I venture to guess the first thing she would do if she lived in our generation, would be to post it on social media. Guess what? And everyone is guessing because she never writes what worth the guess. Next post. Revelation in five days. So everyone's like, okay, what's going to happen in five days? You want to talk about bragging rights? Mary has bragging rights, Right? She could even write, found out, will be mother of Messiah, blessed. Oh, and then there'd be a thousand, millions of congratulations. I mean, I want, you, I want you to think about this. Of all the people that could brag about something, she can brag about it. Heads over heel, so much more impactful than winning Miss Universe. There's one every year. There's only one mother of the Messiah. Oh, if she were to live in our generation, as a normal person, the pride of her heart would cause her. So I know we'd probably do the same thing. To tell everyone about it. And perhaps in feigned humility, oh, praise God, we would say, but boy, it makes us feel good. That's why it's not 
too surprising that Mary, perhaps in a reminder to herself, reminds us that God scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their throne and exalts the lowly. And that's why Mary doesn't go around telling everyone, guess what? I'm going to be the mother of Jesus. What does the Bible tell us about Mary? Whenever the news was shared and she hid everything and pondered it in her heart. Boy, if you want to brag about one thing, that's it right there. But she doesn't. That's why Mary's is thought of as one of the most humble people in the scriptures, a righteous woman. She understands what it means to bear the Christ child and that it is not about her. It's about the grace of God. And that's why there's a resolution to fear God and to keep a humble attitude. So I ask again, when was the last time you and I prayed when we were searching for things to pray to resolve to do something for God? To perhaps break off an unhealthy relationship, to break off an unhealthy friendship, to resolve to do what's right, to resolve to no longer do something that dishonors the Lord. Why is it that our prayer is always about asking God to give something to us versus a resolution for how we should live in obedience to Him for His glory with the help of the Holy Spirit? Some of the most beloved prayers throughout history that have been recorded are prayers that are of action. One of these prayers has been put to song. It's been sung in our church. It's the famous prayer of Francis of Assisi. It's a beloved prayer because it is not about himself. It is about the action he is resolved and wanting to do. You know it well, it goes like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, let me so pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, let me so hope. Where there is darkness, let me so light. Where there is sadness, let me sow joy. And I love the second verse. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek. It's not about me. To be consoled, not for me to be consoled, but for me to console. Not to be understood as to understand others. Not to be loved as to love others. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. What have you prayed to God to resolve that doesn't concern a self-centered request? That's between you and God. Verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel. 
in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. In verses 54 to 55, Mary speaks about an unconditional promise made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. How even though the nation of Israel would continue to disobey God, God in his mercy will help the nation Israel and will help Israel through the Messiah that is in her. That's what's implied. And of course, if we remember the Abrahamic covenant through the nation of Israel, all nations would be blessed. You see what Mary is doing here in verses 54 to 55 is that she is remembering, number six, God's promises. Remembering God's promises. Another thing you can pray for is you can pray to remember and claim God's promises. When you read the Bible, when you know God's word, you will know his promises. And when you know his promises, you can then claim them by praying those promises back to him. You know, it's funny at times, I, I hear people pray about things God has never promised in the scriptures. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, you can only claim that which is promised by God in scriptures in its proper context. That is for you, and you can take great hope and encouragement and faith in that which God has promised. Because God is a promise-keeping God. He will not deviate from it. A prayer such as that will keep us hopeful. It will keep us looking forward. It would keep our minds heavenward. There are times that I feel so sad because I've been taken advantage of. The promises made have been broken. But I remind myself that God promises to make things all right. That God sees all. And that God will call each one to account for the life that they've lived. And the promises of prophecy that remind me that this is not the end of the story. There's an eternity to live for him. You know, when we remember God's promises as related in the scriptures, it is uh, an encouragement to us. Again, you have to read the scriptures to know what the promises are. Listen carefully, there is no promise in the scripture from God that says you will be always physically healed. You see, a lot of people think it's in the scriptures. It's not there. Why isn't God hearing my prayers, we say? The person I pray for is still sick. God tells us that he promises to give us peace amidst struggles and discouragement. God promises to bring healing in the context of Scripture, sometimes physical, always spiritual, to know that there is a future after this. You know, as a pastor, it's one of the hardest things to know when to change my prayer for someone from a prayer of healing, if it's God's will, to a prayer of acceptance and preparation when it's God's time to call them home. But so many Christians forget that. In many ways, it's a bit self-centered how we pray. No offense to anyone. But why do we want to keep someone, our loved one, who is suffering greatly here, to be left alive here on earth, that we could see them 
and feel good that they're here while they're suffering. Even in those types of prayer, it's not God's will we seek. And we have a hard time translating that to a prayer preparation. Lord, prepare me, my family, for the one leaving this earth, for the one whose loved one is also leaving. The scriptures is full of verses that speak about the preparation for our departure from this earth to the glories that await us. In fact, there are more verses in the Bible about the preparation for the life after this than prayers for the sustaining of life here. Put the promises of God in the proper context in which it is given. Yes, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the Bible says. But the best we can do is to ask for God's will to be done. And that should encourage you. It encourages me that certain things in my life that happen and your life that happens, they come when the perfect God has decided what to do. Mary reminds God of his promises. We should as well. Not that God needs reminding to do them, but as we remind him, it reminds us that he's a faithful God. He will be with us. As a postscript, look at verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Bible tells us Mary remained with her relative Elizabeth for three months. Can you imagine what a wonderful time it must be? The mother of John the Baptist and the mother of Jesus, how they would encourage one another, most likely in prayer. Presumably Mary would see the birth of John the Baptist because six plus three is nine, nine months. And as she saw the birth of John the Baptist, who is the forerunner, she would be encouraged as she now headed back to Nazareth where she will prepare to go to Bethlehem with Joseph to give birth in fulfillment of prophecy to the Messiah, Jesus. And we'll talk more about that next week. When you think about your prayer life, my friends, and where it needs to be, perhaps you and I could be more intentional about praying for more than just about me and my needs and my wants. Like Mary, who of all people could have prayed for herself and all of the comforts and the luxuries, being the mother of Jesus. Look at their prayer, nothing about her. But her prayer and her words of adoration is about glorifying God, a word of our adoration. She prays a reminder of salvation. Praise the recognition of God's grace, the acknowledgement of God's attributes and characteristics, his character. She prays a resolution in action. She prays the remembrance of God's promises. And I think if you pray these things, you will have a very full prayer life. Now, you don't have to pray all six things, but if you're looking for things to pray for, maybe take one of these and begin this week. Take another one next week and the following week. 
and work your way up. You know, it's appropriate that as we celebrate Christmas, and I know that when school lets out on Wednesday, a lot of you, maybe 35%, 40% of our church takes off. And many of you will not be with us next week. But remember, wherever you are, take time to gather your family. If you're not with us next Sunday, gather your family and have a time of worship and make sure prayer is a part of that. And a word to our dads out here. It's your responsibility that you work into the itinerary. That whatever trip you're on, to have a time of worship. And you take the spiritual lead to pray with your family. If you want your children to be prayerful, you and I need to lead by example. Don't have it that your wife is nagging you to do it. Now, of course, if the husband won't move, then wife, you should do it. But that being said, make sure that you celebrate the season in the way it should be celebrated in prayer. A lot of words of worship, they are all prayers to God in the Christmas story. And some of you say, well, you know, I have nothing to pray for, Pastor. Life is good. If you have that notion, you completely miss the beat. The fact that you have a good life, all is well, should increase your prayer time. To thank God for all the good things He's given you. To think about His grace. If all is well... Boy, your prayer life should be flourishing. It is the most talked about, least done thing in the Christian life. Let's change that. Let's change that in our church community. Let's fill our time driving in traffic instead of complaining in, in prayer. Just speaking to God, words of adoration. Remembering his grace, a resolution of how you want to live. And see how God, through the discipline of prayer, will begin to transform your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What a great reminder even to me. In a self-centered culture, we have turned prayer to be about ourselves, our will, our desire to try to twist your arm to come to our level and help us to have the right perspective where prayer is about transforming us to have a heavenly mindset that prayer brings us closer to you and makes us to be more like you help us not to rush through prayer that our prayer life will be full May we never say there's nothing to pray for, but always actively seek, as Mary does, to adore and glorify the one who is worthy. As we enter into this season, many of us do feel blessed, but it's not the festive moods that bring blessing to our life. It is because you have taken unworthy people like me, like all of us, and your grace abounds, superabounds, that we really are blessed. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our life. In Jesus' name we pray.